0: Hello again, friends. This is Marie, the SLP, and you're listening to Thanks, Morris. Today, in the world of speech language pathology, we're talking with Simone Pichotu, who is my friend, the mama to an adorable little boy and a speech-language pathologist, and today we're talking all about her role as an SLP with a population of students who are transitioning from high school to young adulthood. Simone works in the New Jersey area, and she has some phenomenal resources on her Instagram, first of all, but she also has some really great insight into what it's like working with this age group. It's so interesting coming from a preschool perspective and getting to talk to her, so Without me saying too much, I want to get into it. So here we go. I'm here with Simone, and I'm going to get this right, Pe- Peixoto. Did I do it? Very,
1: very perfect.
0: Yes. Um, and we're going to talk all about what she does in the field of speech and language pathology. Um, and yeah, I don't really want to talk for you, so... <laughs> You get to tell us uh, what where you work right now, basically.
1: Well, right now I'm a full-time mama. Oh, that's right. That's my number that's one job, job right number now. One. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes. So um, I did take the year off, but I am hoping to return to work in September. I'm hoping that COVID doesn't cause major layoffs across the state and I yeah. somehow end up with another job, but. Yeah, you know, let's let's keep the positive vibes going. Yeah, hope that does happen. <laughs> so, um, I hope to return. I hope to return to um my job at my school. So I work in an in inner city school. It's a self-contained specialized school. So we're all special ed. We are a multiple disabilities program, and we service children five to twenty-one years of age. hmm And
0: you're in New Jersey, right?
1: I am in New Jersey.
0: Yes. I have to. I am- Newark, Newark. See, I have to remember that because I'm over here in California, and it's funny. Like, I feel like wherever you are, you just have this perspective that probably everything's the same, like all school districts, and you know, like I mean, like I know that things are different, but I don't realize it until I actually talk to you guys, and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like it's
1: so different. Um, Absolutely. See, one thing that I wanted to ask you. This is totally off topic. No, that's fine. So I noticed that whenever we're speaking via um, Instagram message or you know, virtually, you say ha-ha as opposed to LOL. Is that a Cali thing? Maybe. <laughs> or is that the Marie thing? It
0: might be a little bit of both. You know what? Okay, I think it is a Cali thing, but I will say it's kind of also a choice that I've made because I don't like using LOL all the time because it gets overused. Um, okay. in my opinion but I think that I will say like I have plenty of friends who I text and talk to on Instagram from California who yeah we would uh, definitely say ha <laughs> oh, ha I think well. that's funny <laughs> I'm gonna have to start paying more attention I didn't I don't even notice that I do it I remember back in like high school when lol came out or like that became a thing not necessarily that, that it just started then but yeah I don't know That's a good
1: question. (laughs) It made me think. um, I was just wondering. I've been meaning to ask. And now it's just a perfect opportunity. I think that's great. I love it. Oh,
0: my goodness. So you work with um, students who are going from, they're in that age, that kind of 18 to 22 age, right?
1: Yeah. So in New Jersey, 21. 21. See, California. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I work with uh, students, we say that they're in transition, and they are 18 to 21, uh, transitioning out of the school program, essentially, and it's a, it's a fun place to be. It's, you know, I, I enjoy it a lot. I didn't really have a choice as to what age group I uh, was going to work with when I first started my job. Okay. Um but now I kind of like don't want to leave this age group. I'm like, no, 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 don't want to work with elementary, don't want to work with middle school. Like I just want my transition kids. Yeah. Um, it's just such a different world. Um, I'd say that uh, half of my caseload is uh, our students who are nonverbal. And the other half, um, you know, there's just a mixture. They have many different types of disabilities, but we work on a lot of basic Language skills, social skills, life skills, job mm-hmm. training, things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: so it's a lot
0: of fun. So neat and such a different world than what I'm used to.
1: So <laughs> it is a different world. Yeah. I'm excited to share. I hope that I know not a lot of people have experience in this area. So that, you yeah, know, this no. podcast would be will be useful
0: to them. Yeah, definitely. I remember I think we had like in grad school one one day one little snippet of that age group and like what we could possibly do if we were working with um, that transitional age group that was it one day and this the SLP that talked with us she was she came in she wasn't even one of our professors <laughs> she I think actually it was a webinar I don't even think she could make it or something it was super super weird because I was like this seems so
1: important um it is. It's so important to them, of course, mm-hmm. because they're growing up. They're going to leave school, which they have been used to for their entire life, and they get thrown into these new programs, new situations, new lifestyles, and really the skills that they have they've learned at school are the ones that they're going to take with them. So it is a really vital age group that I feel like um, merits a lot of, you know, hard work and good therapy and good strategies to be taught to them. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, you know, so my school does have like a very wide range of disabilities, although we do lean more towards the mod to profound, um, you know, area, mm-hmm. but for the students who are, do have higher needs, um, you know, our focus is really just functional communication with AAC. And when I first started at my school, um, there are three therapists at my school. So when we're all fairly new, when we started, kind of like one year to half a year with of within each other. And when we got there, I don't know if AAC was being used before we got there, but if it was, it was nowhere to be found. Um, and so. We were left with like the school who half of their population was nonverbal and we were just like, oh my gosh, what do we do? That's like crazy. We didn't know where to start. Yeah. So we went to ASHA. I believe it was, I don't know if it was ASHA in LA or in Boston. I want to say it was the one in Boston. No, it was the one in LA. I think it was the one in LA. And that's when we started following the group of researchers uh, from Project Core, which I speak a lot, a lot about on my Instagram.
0: Yeah, and I so love it. I use it every day. So.
1: Oh my goodness, I love, I love Project Core. So, um, so our solution to the problem was that we just decided to do Universal Core for every student that needed it at that moment. And then since then, we have been individualizing systems, moving students to higher tech systems and things like that. So for, you know, so for that group um, that I work with, the the group that is nonverbal, that's really our, our prime focus. It's just that getting that consistent AAC available and used into their homes and into their day programs that they're going to transition into. So
0: yeah, that's it's so crazy because like okay so Project Core. I mean I could go on for hours about how awesome they are. Um, when I first started in preschool two years ago, that was the one thing that I was like because I, I I had very little background in AAC, and in our preschool program because it is full inclusion. I have mild to severe kiddos, but in the elementary school that I was at before, it was just mild to mod and so um, I didn't I didn't really need to use AAC during my clinical fellowship and then I got into preschool without knowing what it would be like and Project Core saved my life um, when introducing kids and my nonverbal kiddos to uh, any type of functional alternative form of communication because most of them I mean when they're that little, we're not trying to get them to use these high-tech devices. We're introducing things and we're evaluating exactly. them. So it is, it is so awesome. And I guess when you look at um, like those higher-tech devices, do you have any, I guess, like, and I just thought of this question off the cuff. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't prepare you for this. But it just made me think. I had, a, so I had this little nonverbal student last year. And his mom was telling me, and he was um, on the autism spectrum too, and his mom was telling me, you know, oh, he uses AAC at home. And his goals with me that mom agreed on previously were for um, like pointing to pictures, using that functional, those functional core boards, um, no high tech, all low tech. And yeah, like the middle of the school year, his mom's like, oh, he's using AAC Beautifully, like you know, his ABA therapist has taught him and all this stuff, and I'm like, that's great. Um, it's obviously not if he is the none. It's not really generalizing to school, but um, she's telling me, you know, he's speaking in sentences or communicating in sentences on AAC and everything like that. And I was like, okay, well, you like, can you bring me the device? I don't know. She like gave me the, like told me what it was, and I was like, okay, like I don't know what this is. My district's not just going to go out and buy one, like. So it was super interesting. And then she never brought it in and I tried to follow up, but it never happened. Um, but then I think about like on the other end, I've had situations where like parents like tell me we want him to use a device. Can you get him there by the end of preschool? And I'm like, well, like every kid is different. Um, and I guess my question, my overall question is like, how do you work with like that kind of a situation when the parent wants you to fast track what you're doing and you're not seeing the same things you need to see in order to introduce those higher tech things?
1: Um, So I do think rule number one is just be honest. Yeah. And I sometimes do, I literally explain that to the parents. I say, I understand that you want a higher tech device, but putting a higher tech device in this child's hand or this young adult's hands mm-hmm. is not going to necessarily change the way that they're using the AAC, right? And then I, you know, may try to compromise where I say, okay, let's trial a low tech device as opposed to like a no tech paper system. So like, let's trial like a GoTalk Talk. That's mm-hmm. just battery operated and I can easily make um, inserts yeah. in different uh, situations or we could just insert core vocabulary. So let's try something like that, that has voice output, that is a little bit more techy, and, you know, we'll see kind of the progress or the reaction mm-hmm. of the student um, to that type of device. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's your license, it's your judgment. Gotta be honest. No, right? that's true. I, and and I honestly find that parents, uh, the majority of the time do respect that honesty. Yeah. And as long as you're straightforward with them and give them a concrete plan, that a lot of times they will be on your side and they're not going to give you an issue if you do come at them with a concrete laid out plan that may yeah. eventually meet the goal that they want their student or child to, you know, get to.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's good point. Thanks. (laughs) I think, you know, and I'm still new to the, like, I feel like, yeah, like I do a lot of low tech and I've, you know, worked with some AAC, but I'm still new to that game. I'm new to talking about it with parents. And then on the other hand, I get the parents that are super scared of it because they come, you know, they've heard things and, you know, I've had parents tell me, well, if we do, you know, picture communication or we do um, like a go talk, like they're not going to talk ever. And so, yeah.
1: So that's such an interesting point that you make because I always talk about this with my colleagues at work. Parents go through like a cathartic process of, I feel like, raising a child who has special needs. Yeah. And so, there, I feel like that in the younger years, parents sometimes do seem very defensive or they just seem they're just more they're scared because this is all new and familiar to them they've never been on an IEP team they've never dealt with special education services anything they've never done anything like that right so it's it's very scary for them um whereas I also see very scared parents but for different reasons my Mm -hmm. parents they've been in dealing with special education for their whole 21 years (laughs) exactly they've you know most likely experienced of civil communication and at this point they've kind of accepted the fact it's like a grieving process right so they've they've gone they've gone to that point of acceptance that you know their child is a child with high needs who at this point hasn't developed verbal communication yet and they're most of the time accepting of it so it's like a different dynamic that I deal with It totally is.
0: It's so interesting to think. I didn't even think about that before Um, asking you to come on the podcast, but I'm like, we're literally the two ends of that IEP spectrum where I'm I'm getting them fresh and teaching them how it goes. And then you get them at that very kind of end of like, yeah. And
1: I'll, you know, later in our conversation, we can definitely talk more about the parent process because I feel like that is such an important piece of my job.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, we'll get into that for sure. I'm excited. Um, I think I want parents to be able to listen to this too and feel a sense of empowerment um, and know that like we've, we've got their back. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, oh, the job training. Um,
1: yes. Yeah, so oh, uh, that's so interesting. That's, that's like the other uh, end, right? So half my population is AAC. Uh, a lot of AAC. And then the other half, not to say that students who use AAC don't uh, go to job training because mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my more uh, students who are verbal uh, and who um, we think have the possibility to be successful when, once they're linked with the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, which is going to deal with job training after school. Mm. Um, we, we have them heavily immersed into a transition program at my school. So we have a transition coordinator who basically um, links up or makes connections with all these community places, uh, grocery stores, chain restaurants, I don't know if I'm like allowed to name specific ones, so I'm being very big. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) and restaurants, um, you know, different, just different community locations. And we basically divide our students up so that majority of them in the transition school um, get to rotate through these places for three weeks at a time. And um, they go out with job coaches Sometimes I do go out with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I primarily um when I work with the job coaches for these situations, I create a lot of um visuals to support communication for the students who are nonverbal who do go to these job um training locations. But um it's just so much fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, that's it's so cool and it's so like It's just again interesting and eye-opening to know that like that's like that's a reality for some families and for some. I mean, speech therapists and teachers that that's what you guys are um, facilitating, and I think it's so awesome because it just I don't know. It's promoting us to see the abilities in everybody versus like taking that away from you know your students and, and. treating them as if they couldn't do that in the future. absolutely.
1: Yeah, everybody everybody gets the chance. And if, for example, a student has um, some type of medical issue where they can't leave the building without Mm -hmm. a medical, like a nurse going with them or something like that, um, or if there are real concerns for behavior where uh, the student would injure himself or injure anyone else, we do always allow the students to go out of the building for job training, but in a um, class setting. So nice. there are certain locations that the entire class goes to, yeah. as opposed to just like two students with a job coach. Um, so, you know, we do allow everyone to have those opportunities, no matter, you know, mm-hmm. there any of those circumstances. to yeah. Medical or behavior or anything like that.
0: Yeah. So is most of like the therapy that you would do, how do how does your speech, what does your speech therapy look like? Like, cause I think of speech and I'm like, yeah, sometimes I pull kids out. Sometimes I'm in the classroom and I run a center. Um, yeah. What does it, that look like?
1: Essentially it looks like that. Yeah. Sometimes okay. I pull kids out, sometimes <laughs> I'm in the classroom. Um, sometimes I'm out of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it just kind of depends on the day and can't really have a plan at my school. Oh. I feel like things change by the second. Oh, yeah. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'm doing therapy at the grocery store. Sometimes I'm doing therapy in the classroom. It just really depends on the day. And yeah, like I said, we do a lot of just a lot of functional therapy. So mm-hmm. in terms of in regard to AAC, it's going to be similar to any AAC type therapy that any speech therapist does but the context may be different vocabulary. If we're using any fringe vocabulary in addition to the core may be different. Um, And then in terms of my other kids, we focus a lot on um, just like functional literacy. So like being able to read and comprehend um, more functional materials. So bills, schedules, community signs, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. Um, I work a lot with my kids on development of personal narratives just because I think that being able to tell a story that is like the essence of communication, right? Like that's how we talk. We tell each other stories. Yeah. I feel like that's the basis. Um, And I just feel like being able to tell a narrative is so important in terms of like, if there's an emergency, them being able to retell what happened to them. If there's, you know, yeah, any type that comes up. I just think it's so important. So I do a lot of um, narrative development uh, therapy as well, mm-hmm. um, and we do social skills. We do just auditory comprehension type things, um, retail. So a lot of language based. Yeah. AAC therapy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's funny. One of my favorite goals to write, especially for my four-year-olds that are going on um, to kindergarten. Because it's like I want to leave them with something very functional and practical is um, a sequencing goal. But I do it in a way where they're they're basically learning how to appropriately organize their thoughts and put a story together. And I always tell parents because, you know, I get the parents all the time that are like, I just want her to be able to tell me about her school day. Which that's a whole other thing I have to tackle with telling parents. Like you're kind of coaching on how to ask questions and (laughs) that whole thing. But... When they're going on to Kinder, and I give that goal, the parents get so excited, and because they they understand, like, oh, she's helping, like helping her tell, you know, then I can talk to her about her day or a a story,
1: (laughs) whatever. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's so important.
1: We do a lot of sequencing goals too, and therapy um, in relation to sequencing, but we do it with a lot of ADLs. Yeah. So, like sequencing out steps um, that you you would need to perform ADLs like a we, have an ADL, we have an ADL classroom um in our school so it literally is like a kitchen yeah um and so yeah that's All awesome fun.
0: I know I it just I mean it's not the same but when I worked uh did my hospital internship I worked at an inpatient rehab center that um it's like in our area it's known for being a very uh just good I guess rehab center for anybody that's had a stroke or any kind of um anything happened cognitively um and we worked really closely with all the OTs and PTs cuz we were basically just getting them ready to go back into the world and it's kind of that similar you know where everything was very functional um and we had the ADL room which I loved doing therapy in there that was yeah. my favorite thing awesome. so yeah. When I got the chance to finally plan my own therapy, I told my supervisor, well, I'm just going to take him to the ADL room. And she was like, you're always doing that. I was like, it's so fun. We could pretend to cook. The most, the most functional, right? Yeah. I think that's why I'm perfect for preschool though. Cause it, that's all I do is pretend <laughs> play. All the functional things. Um, so what do you like most about working with this age? Because I know you said now you don't you would never want to leave it or <laughs> at right this time anyways. Never leave it.
1: No, I don't. So um, you know, one, like I said, having parents who have gone to that stage of acceptance is just so helpful because they're just your team member and they want you to succeed and you want them to succeed. So I, I like working with this age, um, you know, one because their parents have gotten to that stage of acceptance. So I feel like that's like one, not a battle because I don't feel like I have battles with parents, but just one less issue that's kind of in between parents and me. Does that make sense? I like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I like all the functional things. I like being able to work on a transition team, which we can talk about Mm -hmm. later as well. Um, and in terms of my population, like I work with inner city kids. I just love knowing that school may be one of the best parts of their day, you know, and my kids, I think, feel safe. They feel loved at school They know that, you know, whatever happens, tomorrow is a clean slate, and the day starts over again, and nothing from yesterday gets carried over, Um, and so I really like that. I love working with the inner city population. Oh,
0: that's so good. I love having, like, this connection with other SLPs that are so passionate. I mean, I feel like a lot of SLPs that I talk to are just passionate people in general, (laughs) But it's just so awesome because I feel I'm like the same as you where I'm like, like, I've missed my kids so much the last three months. And I'm just like, I just can't wait to hug them and see them and like, yeah, you know, be in our safe speech room. and Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we talked about functional and I think we highlighted that pretty well, but I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, and again, it's funny because I start with them being fun, like everything in our preschool program. That's why, and this is why I don't want to leave preschool, at least in California, because we're developmental. And so functional is appropriate and it's, um, you know, we're not working on antonyms and synonyms. And I just, I love being able to work on stop and go and, and talk about, um, I don't know, just like, it's almost like the practicality of things, and it, because it's so important to life, and um, just functioning and getting your ADLs done and stuff like that.
1: But yeah, I mean, in New Jersey, you know, there's like big, big push for aligning everything to state standards. Mm-hmm. And in special education, we don't have to go by like the state standards. We go by these other standards from something called DLM. Okay. Dynamic Maps. I don't, you know, I don't know if they exist in California, but you know, we do have to get creative in terms of figuring out how we can align these really functional sure. goals to these standards that are still very based in literacy, reading, mm-hmm. writing, all you the know, very stuff. large, yeah, educational skills. So it, you know, it's fun, but we get yeah. creative and we do. It, so
0: now that's, and I think you know, and I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't say preschool doesn't have to align with any. Standards, but in California, just from the little time i like 've only worked in cal like in my job for three years, but i 've noticed that there is such a push for both special education and general education you know to be aligning with the common core and all the state standards and you know when um, working in the elementary school, I had to align every single goal with a state standard. And in preschool, the, there are standards, but they're more general. And like right. most of my goals align with speaking and listening. Right. And, and that's, it just makes it a little bit easier. And I like, um, I like having a little bit more, I mean, freedom, I guess, to kind of work at their developmental level versus their grade level. Yep.
1: Totally understand that.
0: <laughs> I think mean, part of it may be just how I was trained as a speech pathologist, but it just makes sense when we're, when we're talking about language and like. Language mean, you need to,
1: yeah. You ultimately need to meet your clients or students where yeah. they are developmentally. It doesn't really matter where they fall chronologically. Although, you know, using age appropriate materials comes into play. Sure. Still, like you need to focus on where they are developmentally. Cause yeah. Chronologically.
0: It yeah. Matter. Sometimes it, it just. Doesn't make a difference. I don't know, or it does make a difference, but it doesn't. It's not as meaningful. Absolutely, when you're looking at assessment results and stuff. So, whatever. That's a topic for maybe another day. (laughs) Um. So, what is one overriding goal you would have for your students and even their families?
1: Um. So, this is something I always bring up. Like with every graduating class, I find myself like always bringing up this point. I'm like, oh. um, I think that educating um, young adults with disabilities about their disabilities is just so important. Um, and one goal that I always have for my students is for them to understand their limitations and learn how to request, ac- request for accommodations, clarifications explain that they're having a communication breakdown and that they need something to be modified in order for them to be more successful at whatever task they're doing. So it's always something that like as yes. a group near graduation I'm like, okay, we need to like really get on this topic and like can we just do a quick group with the graduates and you know really focus on this and focus on these skills and and role play these scenarios and you know teach them how to ask for repetitions and tell people to slow down and things like that. So that's oh, a goal that I have.
0: Okay. That's so good. It's so, cause it's, cause we do that. Like I do that, you know, when I need it, when I need something repeated, um, when I need somebody to speak louder. <laughs> and yeah. it's just, it's an important, you're right. It's an important thing. It's self, self-advocacy, but it's also just like asserting and kind of just, being confident in asking for help, which absolutely, I know plenty of adults, um, you know, in my workspace that I'm like, you got to ask for help. You need to ask for supports when you need it. Um, and that's just something some of us are still working on even, even.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's such an important skill to have and to know how to do yeah. just in nature communication breakdowns happen, right? Yeah. No we need to just be more open about the fact that we're not understanding something or we need something to be modified in order for us to complete it yeah. the right way. No, yeah. I feel like I, uh, I
0: had a communication breakdown with all this distance learning I've been thrown into Like towards the last two weeks of school. I just finally had to tell some of my admin, like, this is a lot. And I I don't feel supported and I need supports here and here, you know, and, and they were there, they helped. Um, But sometimes
1: absolutely, I I find that admins will generally give you the help if you are concrete with them and open about it, as opposed to just kind of passive aggressive and, you know, just complain behind their backs. Like, oh, I I think that about it is better. Yeah, it
0: doesn't get anything done. And I know, you know, to to give them the benefit of the doubt, like sometimes I've caught myself saying, well, they should know. They should know that I would need this. But realistically, they don't always know because one, in the world of speech pathology, I've learned admins and teachers don't always know exactly what it is I do or need to get my job done. <laughs> so I have to be the one that's I don't want to say I'm educating them, but I am definitely kind of cluing them in and and saying, well, look, like, you know, I can't run an IEP meeting if I don't have someone taking notes. It doesn't work, like, or maybe it does, but (laughs) for me, it doesn't always work. I'm too, I can't multitask like that. Um, But yeah, things like that where uh, they don't always, they don't always know until we say something and ask for the help we need and same for our students. Absolutely. No. Okay, collaboration. <laughs> like, I've been waiting to talk about collaboration this whole time. It's my favorite thing to talk about, I think. Um, what does collaboration look like at, where you're at?
1: Um, okay, so I definitely <laughs> wear a lot of hats. I <laughs> love what I do, and I, I love it, like I said. Um, you know, I think collaboration – You know, in one way, it looks very similar to at any school, Uh, you know, collaborating with teachers um, in terms of selecting appropriate vocabulary for lessons, giving them some ideas on how to modify tasks for certain students, Um, you know, working with them in the classroom during their lesson, doing push-in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's that whole type of collaboration, which, you know, I feel like happens at many schools. Um, but then they're, you know, on a transition team, there is a lot of other collaboration that needs to happen. Um, and I guess that if I put my foot down at my school and said, this is outside of my job description, like I do not need to do this, I really wouldn't have to do it. Um, but I think that it just makes me feel much more purposeful by, you know, being willing to collaborate in the ways that I do. So, um, you know, on a, on a transition team, um, there's the teacher, the student, it's kind of similar to an IP team, social worker, transition coordinator, um, myself, parents, um, and then generally representatives from state agencies. Um, and I think that that dynamic is kind of just what, makes the transitioning out of the school like a great process or a terrible process. So I think that everybody um, being on board, kind of being informed, being aware, and working together is just so vital. Um, you know, Collaboration with the social worker, transition coordinator, and parents to kind of just help them navigate each step that needs to happen in order for there to be a successful transition out of schools is just so important. Um, and I'm talking things like discussing guardianship, like a lot of SLPs in younger years don't even have to think about these things, but once a student turns 18, their parent is no longer their legal guardian. So you need to start prepping parents for all of these processes and, really collaborating with social workers, with parents to get these outlines in their hands, to have these discussions so that they start kind of getting the, you know, the ball rolling on yeah. these processes. Oh, for sure. Without, without the guardianship, without, um, you know, securing that their student is uh, receiving Medicaid and things like that. None of the state funding and state programs that are available after graduation will come into effect. I don't know if that's the same in California. I'm honestly um, not sure. But <laughs> yeah, it it it's it's probably different cuz so in New Jersey the main state agency that deals with uh, adults who have disabilities is the Division of Developmental Disabilities and I was actually looking it up in California right before our podcast and it's called something different. Okay. So <laughs> no, I guess every state is different. Um, but yeah. So that collaboration is just vital. And even giving parents, um, you know, a safe space to like, it's like they begin this whole grieving process. So they began the grieving process and like went through it by the mm-hmm. time their student was an adult in special education yeah, or their child was an adult in special education. And now they're leaving. So now they start this whole grieving process again where they're super scared They're in denial that this is happening so fast. They're, you know, they're, they're super anxious. They, you know, and you just need to work with parents, give them that place to let their emotions out, let them cry because majority of the times it happens. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, make them feel empowered and just let them know that this is the outline. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And it's going to be a successful transition. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's good, and you know, and it's funny because you like. I feel like collaboration. I think every speech pathologist probably has a very unique perspective on it. Because, like, for me, sometimes I get like, I'm like, oh, I wear so many hats in the same kind of sense, and then I'm like, but I wouldn't change it. Um, I just did recorded an episode last week with my two uh, two of the teachers in my program. And one of the things I admitted to them that I've, I guess, never really said out loud, but when I first started as a speech pathologist in my CF year, like, I used to get so annoyed when people would call me a speech teacher. I had, like, this big ego about it. And now I love walking into the classroom and just being Miss M, another teacher, in the classroom because I push in at least once a month and run centers in the three different classrooms that I work in. and. I work with all the kids, whether they're mine or they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, we do language lessons and sometimes I'm in there during their, um, their snack time, maybe looking, you know, kind of watching another student, but I'm interacting with all the kids and, you know, talking about sharing or kindness and it doesn't matter. Um, and then I've had parents of students that aren't my own, you know, kind of seek my advice on different things. And that's, it's okay, like just because they're not parents of my students, I'm not gonna turn them down. Um, yeah, I'm a part, yeah, I'm just a part of that whole team. So I don't mind being called the, the speech teacher anymore.
1: It's so funny that you bring that up because, <coughs> excuse me, I have like a really bad issue in my throat. <laughs> You're fine. But, um, um, uh, Grace from Instagram. Oh, yeah. You know yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> The SLP. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a former teacher. So I actually just uh, spoke with her about going live because I would love to have that discussion. Yeah. About that whole dynamic between like SLPs and teachers and how I feel like at the beginning there's always that weird feeling about oh, yeah. being called a speech teacher and like why does that dynamic exist? Yes. And, you know, what what can we do to kind of just break down that oh my gosh weird at the beginning of oh, our Oh, I careers. can't wait for you guys that to do shouldn't this. shouldn't happen. <laughs> cool. and, yeah, and another thing that I think about a lot, which you kind of mentioned previously at the beginning of the episode, was um, our dynamic with BCBAs, because mm-hmm. I also feel like there is this weird tension that happens, and I don't yep. know why it happens between SLPs and BCBAs.
0: Yeah. Okay. I have a good story for you then because I never really understood that that tension existed until this year. And so, la- yeah, this is my second full year in preschool. Um, last year I had some kids on my caseload, you know, there were behaviors and there were little things here and there, but I didn't, we ne- We only called in a BCBA for one of those students. Um. But they, that BCBA, she, I've, I really enjoyed working with her in the end, but at first she never approached me for any input. Like I didn't even know she came to the site. I went in the classroom later that day and the teacher was like, oh yes, you know, the BCBA came. She said this, this, and this. And I said, okay, like I, I didn't like choose to get offended in that moment. I think I was still pretty naive, which was a good thing. It, it worked in my favor because then I didn't have this negative perspective, like going into a meeting, but um later on when I talked to a few other SLPs about it, they were like, well, why didn't she consult you? Like behavior and language should be something that you kind of tackle together because it could be his language delay. Like, and, you know, and I was still like, oh yeah, duh, like I forgot. (laughs) But this year I had two, three, fresh three-year-olds, one nonverbal kiddo, very like sensory, like very sensory seeking, but also, um, sensitive. Like it was, he could like, he'd want his back scratched and it was way too much. Like it was just so interesting. And he had a lot of, um, behaviors, self-injurious behaviors, and we had to call in the VCBAs and the RBTs. And then I had another one, um, (laughs) this poor classroom is both in the same class, but another one of my kiddos who, um, Great language skill, like great foundational language skills, I should say. He's got, you know, some choice words and everything and then some really negative behaviors. And so I'm working with the same BCBA for both kids. And she never – so one of my kids had a goal for using a speech-generating device um, just for, like, environmental sounds, just to push a button to say, wee or "Uh uh-oh, and so – I gave it to him in the classroom, and I, I just said, you know, I trained the teachers. I trained the aides. He was, you know, they were just modeling, and then the BCBA came in. I was working in my room with another student, so she never came and talked to me, but she told the aides and the teachers, put that away. He should be um, doing pecs, <laughs> and I was done. <laughs> this, is a this is a different BCBA than last oh. But I, I, know.
1: I was like, there's I didn't do tension. anything. I know there's tension. There's tension. There's definitely tension. And I think that there was an article out in the ASHA leader, like a few issues back about this, uh, specifically oh. about like the BCBA SLP, like the dynamic, you, like speak the same language, but we use all these different terminologies and then somehow that gets lost in translation and we end up feeling like there's conflict between us. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting. I know. I don't know. I just, I wish we could just be more collaborative. And I, I would love it. ideas. Well, and yeah.
0: it's, it's the way it works. And I don't know how similar this would be, but the way it works in our district is there are like three or four BCBAs. They all work in our district office and then they have RBTs. So behavioral techs who they kind of like source out to the school site. So when there's a student that really needs it, which both of my students this year did, they put an RBT with them for either all of their school day or some of their school day, um, just to kind of give strategies. And, and they're not necessarily supposed to be like a one-on-one aide, but at first they're directly working and then they kind of like, you know, we would, we just want their independence exactly. to grow or to at least train other aides or classroom staff. And so both of the RBTs were, f- like, phenomenal with collaborating with me. Um, and I, like, it was great. But what would happen was I would, you know, give them my little button, my Big Mac, or a, a visual that was really working. And then the BCVA would come in and observe once a week and say, nope, don't do that, but never consulted me. And I'm, I was like, you picked, you." so I would try to be, like, in there. But I'm like, I'm not confrontational enough. To be like, hey, why did you, like, take that away? Because here I am with two years of experience. <laughs> like,
1: No, I, I know. You to... have to stand your ground. You I, know. Stand your ground
0: your I know. area.
1: And you I know. It's, it's, it's rough. It is rough. And I am not confrontational either. It's very yeah. interesting. Like, confrontational styles. I don't even know how to say that. But, like, dealing with <laughs> conflict. <laughs> so conflict. Uh, yeah. Like, I I avoid conflict at all costs. Yeah. Whereas like I have other coworkers who are totally fine with conflict. Oh yeah. It doesn't even like phase them. It's just like, yeah. It's a part of the, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I know it's hard. I, I find that I do try to avoid conflict, but as long as it's something that I'm confident in and that, you know, I have reasoning for, then I'm okay with addressing yeah. it. So. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I do it.
0: I know. And that's going to be my goal next year. It's funny because I was recording a cast earlier and I thought of a goal for myself. Like, I'm always thinking of, okay, I'm going to gonna get better at this. But that was at, like right before the shutdown um, from COVID. Uh, I was like ready. Like, I was like, okay, I'm going to assert myself. Like, I'm going to make sure that because my whole thing is, it's for the child. It's not for me. It's not my ego I'm trying to stroke here. I just want to make sure that they have access to the things, one, that are, like, appropriate for them. And I see this student right. every day. You came in once a week and decided that wasn't the case? Like, no. But two, like, it's, like, literally written in an IEP document, which is legally binding. Right. <laughs> I was just going to see
1: that. Yeah, I was just going to see that. And,
0: you know, so, yeah, there's, there is that certain, you know, and I, I'm very, fortunate that like, for the most part, the team that I work on is amazing and I can collaborate with them and they're all very approachable. We're all like fairly teachable, um, colleagues. So I can walk into the classroom and the teachers can teach me something. And you know, we're, we just yes. work that way. I know other preschool SLPs in my district don't have that same relationship. So I'm very like grateful and I count my blessings for sure. So I'm like one BCBA isn't going to ruin it. But it, you know, it is important because they're very knowledgeable. They have, yeah, you know, absolutely. so much insight
1: for us. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. I had once at, I'm not even going to say where it was, but an SLP once told me that you cannot use AAC in the classroom. Oh okay. Yeah, she was like, okay, oh, yeah, it's just not possible. Oh, oh, gosh. So I think like, you know, things like that and mindsets like that really stem from the teacher SLP relationship. It does. So having a good teacher SLP relationship is vital to student success in my opinion.
0: Oh yeah. Um, It's so important. Mm -hmm. I know I'm a big, like, you know, if, if they don't, if something's not working and if maybe the teachers aren't aware of like what our role is, like then that just means they need to know. And we, it's our job to Mm -hmm. kind of, assert ourselves and like you said just do it (laughs) like but and and I've you know I've talked to um the other preschool speech pathologists in my district and said like we need to do some trainings for the teachers and talk to them about our role talk to them about what you know we can what what we can bring to the teams um because I think sometimes like we are seen as that outside you know oh that's the speech teacher. She mm-hmm. works in that room. And again, mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate because my preschool program just isn't set up that way. We have to be in the classrooms. But, you know, when I was in the elementary level and everything, like, I totally got that vibe. And yeah. it might be an old school thought. I don't know. But I definitely yeah. – it, it's, it's something that I feel like we uh, – I,
1: I think it is. I think as our um, role – expands more and more, especially into the realm of literacy. Um, I think that dynamic will start to change between teachers and SLPs. So I feel like back in the day like SLPs are very concerned with just articulation and mm-hmm. like that's what they worked on and you know they were the specialists in that and that's yeah. it. But now I feel like, you know, our our scopes kind of begin to blend in certain oh, yeah. areas. I'm hoping that, you know, those relationships can, can change oh, yeah. and just become more positive.
0: I agree. I love it. It will. It has to. Just has to. <laughs> um, I had another question and I totally forgot it. So, but I feel like we talked about a lot of good stuff. I'm so excited for, for uh, everyone to hear about, you know, again, Your role as a speech language pathologist and um, just, I mean, I feel like, because like I've always, I think I've told you this before, but when I'm not, when I'm all done with preschool and it's not something (laughs) I want to keep doing, I would really like to try that transitional age um, and, or even like kind of maybe the after, like the, the
1: twenties, because. Oh yeah. Like. I There's a big move there. Yeah. Uh Because I feel like, you know, once these students go into day programs or even if they don't go to day programs, yeah, they, they need help. And people at job sites need training, Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with, you know, who have communication impairments, um, people at day programs need trainings. Um, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, I, that was my question. I was asking you, what's next for your students, um, which you kind of just said. What is like so a day program? Did you already talk about that? And I wasn't paying attention. No,
1: no, I didn't really. So, um, there are different paths that our students can take. Um, like I said, the main state agency that will um, so the way it works is there's a questionnaire that parents have to fill out. Okay, and based on the answers to that questionnaire. A budget is determined. Okay, so this budget is then put into the hands of the team of a service coordinator and the parent and the student. And the service coordinator writes out an ISP, an Individualized Service Plan, which mm-hmm. is similar to IEP, but mm-hmm. for after school. And um, and basically, they choose what services they think will be the most beneficial to a student. So they can pull from services um, offered through uh, DDD, which is the Deve- Division of Developmental Disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also another service called um, the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. So they are DVR. DVR deals with a lot of um, work training job training. So they'll go in, they train, um, they offer coaching, but eventually their goal is to phase out and to have the student be independent at going to work. Um, DDD, the Division of Developmental Disabilities, offers uh, not residential day programs, but I guess just day programs. So the student goes there, um, they spend the day there, and then they go back to their home. Um, within these day programs now, though, there has been a lot of reform, and they do have to have a lot of employment-based um, opportunities built into the day program. So it's not like they're just going there and sitting and watching TV all day.
0: Yeah, they're
1: doing. They're they're being involved in in functional life skills, job skills, tasks like that.
0: Okay. Um.
1: So yeah. So you know, part of my job in, in terms of that collaboration piece is. Um, linking up and making those connections with the um, leaders or just workers at state agencies at the local offices, uh, making connections with the directors of day programs so that this can all be a very easy transition and they allow us to go on tours of these day programs with all the students and the students so that they can kind of figure out which one is the right fit Um, because they're all a little bit different than, you know, one from the other. So, yeah. Yeah, So, and then after that, we try to keep in touch with as many as possible, but you know, yeah, like some we do, some we don't.
0: Yeah. No. And that's, that would be like a great, a great area to kind of look into, um, I would, I would recommend grad students at this point maybe look into that because don't, we don't, at least in my program, we don't get enough information about that specific age group. And right. it's really sad because it's, I don't know. It is.
1: And I think part of it does link to the fact of, you know, there's the whole, like, plateauing and, mm-hmm. you know, when do therapy services stop? Um, you know, if we see that there isn't going to be this continued, uh, you know, upward trajectory of of change where they're showing improvements and they're showing. So I think that is part of the problem. But I think that it's a huge area of need, Um, even especially um, in like AAC being one area, because, you know, AAC is something that is lifelong. And Mm -hmm. parents, Parents and families and caregivers need to be so heavily trained with AAC in terms of being their communication facilitators or yeah. I forget the exact terminology of like the person who basically like make sure your device is working and programs yeah. words into your device and things like that. So I think that like in, in that area, it's kind of like lifelong support needs to be offered from a professional in that area an SLP. Yeah. And then in terms of, um, you know, our other kiddos who aren't using AAC, I think so much support is needed for just pragmatic socialization, things like that, because they have been in this bubble of a school their whole mm-hmm. life. And now all of a sudden they are with many different people. Yeah. Who so, you know, you know, Oh yeah. Just being to make friendships, things like that. Yeah. So
0: important. No, that is important. It makes me want to just like put out a little, have a little side gig and be like, any families yeah. need a speech therapist? Well, let me know. Um, not, I would have to brush up on my my AAC, but it is it is so interesting. Do you know who um, Kathy Beatty is? You heard wow. that name. She, she did a, a conference a year ago um, out here because my school district, it was like really close to to my area. And so they paid for almost all of the SLPs in our district to go. And, um, cause it was just like a one day thing right up the street from my school. But, um, she led a conference on AAC and implementing it in the schools. And it made me think of it one, because what you said, like how you've had a speech- pathologists tell you like oh well, you can't you just can't use it in the classrooms because she she did touch on that and she did say you know yeah like you'll get resistance we always there's always going to be a challenge there's always going to be resistance but she gave us you know different strategies and things that you can do to take it into the classroom and um, and again it comes back to that piece of education and you know if you have a kiddo in a class and the teacher's kind of resistant towards it then you need to make a time and train them and make them feel comfortable with having this in their classroom. Um, but then she also talked about the adult age where that is still needed and, and um, you know, there are individuals that will still need support and the people, because she gave us this example, which was a real-life example of a gentleman who, he used AAC like when he was a young adult and then got switched into different care facilities yeah, facilities and didn't have it anymore. And when she started work, she finally somehow a social worker got on her case or like she got on his case. And so um, she started working with him and got him back into AAC. And it, OK, it's really sad. And I don't well, we're going to end positively, but this is kind of sad. <laughs> but he once he got a hold of the AAC and, and learned how to use it and she trained him, um, he was saying that he wasn't being well taken care of. Um, oh, my and so, it, like you said, actually it makes me like so sad, but yeah, they, that's, it's, it's such so, a need to make sure is. there's somebody there facilitating that, and, but not just facilitating, yes. because I can imagine him at first, you know, going to a new new facility, nobody was there to train the, the caregivers on his device, mm-hmm. so it got lost in the yeah. shuffle, or like literally yeah. the skills get lost, um, and the training gets lost, but then things happen because he doesn't have anybody there to help him use what he what he can use yes so so yeah it is not to be not to be too negative (laughs) but
1: it is yeah I understand but I mean you know one positive thing is at least all the um support coordinators that I have worked with have always taken my advice in terms of if I believe services should continue or not. So yeah, they've never told me like, you can, you know, like services can't be continued. Yeah, they can. It's just, you need to allocate the budget so that they can continue. So, um, you know, I've never been met with resistance and saying like, Oh no, like we are not going to give them speech therapy if you feel like this is going to be a service that, yeah.
0: And I can't imagine that ever happening. Cause
1: I hope not.
0: I mean, yeah, I would hope not too. And I've never, I've never heard of it happening. Um, and I don't know the intricate details of, you know, when she presented what she was telling us, all I know is like that did happen. And, um, at least, and, and again, another positive, at least he had the means in the end to basically rat this person out who was mist- mistreating, you know, the, mm-hmm. the people in his facility. But, um, yeah. Oh no. I know went dark. Oh well. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's anything. I do have a little gratitude game we could play. Not really a game, but, but, uh, I was like, I got it. We had to close it out like in a fun way. But was there anything like that you wanted to make sure you left listeners with, um, you feel
1: like you got it all out, got it all out there? Um. I am going to post on my Instagram tomorrow. Okay. It is a a poem story. I don't, a little uh, written out. I don't exactly know what you would call it, but it's called Welcome to Holland. I don't know if you've ever read it. I think so. So it is, uh, I think it's someone associated with Sesame Street. And she basically wrote a little short recap of what it is like to raise a child with a disability. And it is just so empowering. It, it makes me tear up every time. Aww. And I just want every parent, every SLP, every teacher of students with disabilities to read it. And um, yeah, that's it. It's Aww. a very positive, positive message. So welcome to Holland.
0: Welcome to Holland. And they can, because that will be, because by the time this episode comes out... I'm like, where will they find, because you're putting it on your story, you said, or on your feed?
1: No, I'll, po- I'll post on- it on my feed. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So, you can find, uh, Simone Or if over you at- just
1: do a quick Google search.
0: Oh, there you go. Welcome to- No, I want yeah. them to go to your Instagram, because it's amazing. So, <laughs> go to her Instagram, at the babbling brain, um, and that's in my summary, because I'll make sure I include that, uh that link to your Instagram. I mean, you could Google it too, but go check out our Instagram. Yes. So you have such great resources. in. And, um, and I did, I should have said this all in, um, in the beginning, but like you've helped me in this crazy time. I like, I met you in the nick of time because it was right when I had to start creating all these online things. And it was just, it was just perfect. So thank you for that because you have so many great resources.
1: Thank you, really Been very... <laughs> Good
0: to know you. <laughs> I'm just. I'm glad we did that. Uh, the grid was out. Yeah, that was what it was. You yeah. started the grid. I
1: did. I
0: started it, and then uh, Meredith, I yeah, had, she brought you in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love her. Um, yeah. So, yay. Okay. So to end this, do you want to do? We could. We could list gratitudes because I'm just trying to be good about that. Or you could tell me the funniest thing you've ever had a student say, if you can remember that.
1: Oh, we could do both because okay. I feel like if I choose the funny, that just sounds like I'm an evil person. Like I don't no. want to be No, okay. You're so funny. No, okay. I'll do something funny. It's, I guess it's not like that that funny, but I think it's really funny. I was actually thinking of creating a TikTok with this. Oh, awesome! But so I was doing this like like an informal screener. And I tell the student, I'm like, okay, so you're going to repeat after me, okay? So uh, it's like sentences of increasing complexity. And the second one in is a red bird. So I'm like, okay, you're going to repeat after me. I do the first one. He repeats. I'm like, okay, great. All right, next one. Red bird. Blue. (laughs) 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 It may not be that funny, but to me.
0: No, I can picture it.
1: The funniest, 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 funniest moment of my life. Oh my gosh. My mom, and my coworkers were in the room and we just like, we just started cracking up. I know we should not laugh at students, but it was just the funniest moment ever. No. Yeah. Maybe it's not that funny, but. No, I students. think, you know why.
0: Because <laughs> do you watch Friends? Yes. Okay. So uh, Mm -hmm. I feel like my job, especially, I mean, I think every SLP like has had that moment or had multiple moments, but like, I'm like, no, no, like every session in my day, especially on my days where I have this to my like phonological (laughs) kids. I'm like, oh (laughs) my God. Um, yeah, it's it's like, okay, like we space out the syllables, we're saying banana, you know, that's like a really bad example because nobody can say banana. <laughs> None of my kids, it's, it's nana or it's nanana, or uh, but but yeah, you get it all there and then it's like gone. It's just, so
1: <laughs> funny. It was, it was just
0: yeah, okay, we can <laughs> move on to gratitude. <laughs> okay, gratitudes. Um, so let's see. I try to make this fun. This is me actually being, it, like, improvising this because I just forgot what I wanted to do, and I don't know. Anyways, uh, I've already done foods that you're grateful for. Okay. What are, well, we'll do three um, outdoor activities that you're grateful for getting to do? <laughs> or do you not want to do outdoor activities?
1: Okay. <laughs> No, we, we can do outdoor activities, yes. Um, okay. Sit out in the sun, stroll Tiago around my neighborhood. Oh. And have barbecues with my family.
0: Oh, I like that. I've been wanting to barbecue, but nobody will barbecue with me. <laughs> no those are good those are good I'll do I'll do some so you're not alone in this um but see I didn't think far enough because I don't even know what mine are um but I have been using oh I know I've been using the sun as my natural hair dryer so so I'm grateful for that opportunity um and then um I don't know uh, what are what have I been grateful to get to do outside? Work out outside um, or at least pop the garage door open because it's been pretty beautiful out here yeah. and um, take walks with my roommate. We've been doing our routine neighborhood walks.
1: Yeah. Okay. Hey, it really helps.
0: <sighs> yeah.
1: I love walking.
0: I know. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Well, I know it's pretty late where you are. So. It
1: is. I'm like still the Yeah, yeah, it's still like, still daylight out where you are. I it know like, barely I hear.
0: You've watched the sunset with me, Simone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you
0: so, so on I know. <laughs> uh, um, but thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us all that you do, all the great things, including being a mama.
1: Yes, that is by far my favorite role thus far.
0: Yeah. No, that's so good, and I'm so glad you got the whole the whole year off with him. That's so fantastic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that I made that choice. That's a, yeah.
0: Yeah. How could you go wrong, right?
1: Absolutely. He's so cute.
0: Oh, thanks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he is. I can't deny it. <laughs>
0: All right, girl, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited for this podcast to come out. Thank you. Very excited. Very excited.
1: Yay. Hope your listeners enjoy.
0: Thank you so much, Simone, for coming on the podcast, for sharing such great information. I know I learned a lot. I feel like I have a whole new perspective on what working with your students looks like. And it makes me motivated to look into it more, you know, maybe one day. For those of you listening, I hope you feel inspired and I hope that you gained a lot of new information from this conversation. Go find Simone on Instagram at Brain. She has so many great resources for you, so much great information on her Instagram page. Not only that, she's on Teachers Pay Teachers as well. And if you're a fan of Boom Cards, She's got great boom cards. I use them in teletherapy. They are amazing. So go find her. As always, you can find me over on Instagram as well at ThanksMorris. You can also find me on my website, ThanksMorris.com. Don't forget, you can submit your own request to be on the podcast or nominate somebody else to be on or just send me a question or two or a recommendation for what I should talk about. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave me a rating and a review. I appreciate your feedback more than you know. I hope you have a great day and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye friends.